Section 7 of Early Rome by Wilhelm Ina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 3 The Legends of the Seven Kings of Rome. Part 3. Now, when he was in full possession of power, there appeared one day before him a strange woman who offered for sale nine books of divine prophecies which the inspired Sibyl of Cumai had written on loose leaves. But because she asked a high price, Tarquinius laughed at her and let her go. Then the woman burnt three of the books before his eyes and returned and offered to sell the other six for the same price which he had at first asked for the nine. But Tarquinius laughed at her still more and thought she was mad. Then she burnt three more of the books and offered the last three for the original price. Thereupon Tarquinius began to reflect seriously, and he felt persuaded that the woman was sent to him by the gods, and he bought the books. In this manner the king obtained the Sibylline prophecies, and he carefully preserved them, and appointed two men who knew the language of the Greeks in which the books were written, to take charge of them, and to consult them in time of great danger or dearth or pestilence, to the end that the will of the gods might be known, and that their wrath might be averted from the people. Up to this time Tarquinius had been always fortunate in his undertakings, and he became ever more and more haughty and cruel. But when he had grown old he was frightened by dreams and wonderful signs, and he determined to consult the oracle of the Greeks at Delphi. Then he sent his two sons to Delphi, and with them Junius, his sister's son, who on account of his silliness was called Brutus. But the silliness of Brutus was only assumed to deceive the tyrant, who was an enemy of all wise men because he feared them. Now when the king's sons brought costly presents to the Delphin god, Brutus gave only a simple staff. His cousins laughed at him, but they did not know that the staff was hollowed out and filled with gold. After they had executed the commission of their father, they asked the god to tell them who would reign in Rome after Tarquinius, and the answer of the oracle was that he should reign who should first kiss his mother on their return. But Brutus perceived the real meaning of the oracle, and when they had left the temple he pretended to stumble and fell down and kissed the ground, for the earth, he thought, was the common mother of all men. Now when Tarquinius had reigned twenty-four years, it came to pass that he besieged Ardea, the town of the Rudali in Latium, and one evening, when the king's sons were supping with their cousin Tarquinius Colatinus, who lived in Colatia, they talked of their wives, and each praised the virtue and thriftiness of his own wife. Thereupon they agreed to go and see which of the ladies deserved the highest praise. Without delay they mounted their horses and galloped quickly to Rome, and then to Colatia to take the ladies by surprise. They found the daughters-in-law of the king enjoying themselves at a feast. But Lucretia, the wife of Colatinus, was found sitting up late at night with her maids, busy with household work. Therefore Lucretia was acknowledged to be the matron most worthy of praise. But Sextus Tarquinius, when he had seen Lucretia, conceived a base design, and came again one evening alone to Colatia. Having been kindly received and led to his chamber, he rose in the middle of the night, when everyone was asleep in the house, 
and came into Lucretia's chamber and surprised her alone. And when she refused to yield herself to him, he threatened to slay her and put a murdered slave to lie beside her, and then to tell her husband that he had found her in adultery. Then Lucretia resisted no longer, and the next morning Sextus went away and returned to the camp before Ardea. But Lucretia sent messengers to Rome and to Ardea to fetch her father Lucretius and her husband Colatinus. These two hastened to Colatia, and with them came Junius Brutus and the noble Publius Valerius Poplicola, and they found Lucretia in her room, clothed in mourning. When they were all collected together, Lucretia told them of the deed of Sextus and of the shame brought upon her, and she made the men swear that they would avenge her. And when she had ended her words, she drew a knife and plunged it into her heart and died. Then the men were overwhelmed with grief, and they carried her corpse to the marketplace and told the people what had happened, and sent messengers with the news to the army before Ardea. But Brutus assembled the people together and spoke to them, and called upon them to resist the tyrant, and the people determined to expel King Tarquinius and his whole house, to abolish the regal power, and to suffer no king any more in Rome. In the place of a king they chose two men who should rule for one year and should be called not kings but consuls, and for the management of the sacrifices which the king had to offer, they chose a priest who should be called the king of sacrifices, but should have no power in the state, and should be subject to the high pontiff. Otherwise they altered nothing in the laws and ordinances of the state, but they let them all remain as they had been during the time of the kings. For the first consuls they chose Lucius Junius Brutus and Lucius Tarquinius Colatinus, then they shut the gates against Tarquinius, and the Roman army before Ardea abandoned the hated king and went back to Rome. Thus the death of Lucretia was avenged, and Rome became a free city after it had been subject to kings for two hundred and forty years. But the wicked Tarquin did not give up all hope of regaining his power. He had still a strong party in Rome, especially among the younger patricians. Therefore he sent messengers to Rome on the plea of asking the people to give up his movable property. But the messengers secretly consulted with his adherents how the king could be brought back to Rome. Now one day when the conspirators were conferring privately together, they were overheard by a slave who betrayed them to the consuls. Wherefore they were all seized and thrown into prison. But the slave was rewarded with freedom and the Roman citizenship. Then Brutus, who was consul with Tarquinius Colatinus, showed how a true Roman must love his country more than his own blood. For when it was found that his two sons were among those who wished to bring Tarquin and his family back to Rome, he condemned them to death as traitors, even as he condemned the other conspirators, and did not ask mercy for them of the people, but had the youths bound to the stake before his eyes and gave orders to the lictor to scourge them and to cut off their heads with the axe. The people were now still more embittered against the banished Tarquins, and the Senate declined to give up their goods and divided them among the people. But the field between the town and the Tiber, which belonged to the Tarquins and was sown with corn, they consecrated to the god Mars, and called it the Field of Mars, and the corn they caused to be cut and thrown into the Tiber. It drifted down the bed of the river to a shallow place where it became fixed 
and as in the course of time mud and earth collected there, an island was formed in the river, which was afterwards surrounded by embankments and walls, so that large buildings and temples could be erected on it. Now after the conspiracy had been discovered and punished, the Senate and the people made a law that all who were of the Tarquinian race should be banished forever, and all the secret adherents of the royal party left the town and joined the expelled king. But Tarquinius Collatinus, who was consul with Brutus, was a friend of the people and an enemy of the tyrant, and his house, on account of the shame which Sextus Tarquinius had brought upon Lucretia his wife. But as he was of the race of the Tarquins, he obeyed the law, laid down his office, and went into exile, and the people chose Publius Valerius to be consul in his place. Now when the plan of Tarquinius to regain his dominion by cunning and fraud had been defeated, he went to the town of Tarquinii, in the land of the Etruscans, which was the home of his father, and he moved the people of Tarquinii and of Veii to make war upon Rome. Then the Romans marched out against the Etruscans and fought with them near the wood Arcia, and in the battle Aarons, the son of Tarquinius, saw Brutus at the head of the Roman army, and thinking to revenge himself upon the enemy of his house, he put spurs to his horse and ran against him with his spear. When Brutus saw him, he did the same, and each pierced the other through the body with his spear, so that both fell down dead from their horses. But the battle was fierce and bloody, and lasted until the evening without being decided, and in the night, when both armies were encamped on the field of battle, the voice of the god Silvanus was heard coming out of the wood, saying that the Romans had conquered, for among the Etruscans, one man more was slain than among the Romans. Then the Etruscans went away to their homes, and the Romans also marched home, taking the body of Brutus with them, and the Roman matrons mourned for him a whole year, because he had so bravely avenged the wrongs of Lucretia. Thereupon Tarquin the tyrant betook himself to Clusium, to King Porsena, who ruled over all the Etruscans, and he implored help of him against the Romans. Then Porsena collected a powerful army and marched against Rome to restore Tarquin to his kingdom. And coming on suddenly, he took the hill Janiculus, which lies on the right side of the Tiber opposite the capital, and drove the Romans down the hill toward the river. Then the Romans were seized with great fear and did not venture to oppose the enemy and to defend the entrance of the bridge, but they fled across the bridge back into the city. When Horatius, who was surnamed Cocles, or the one-eyed, saw this, he placed himself opposite to the enemy at the entrance of the bridge, while two warriors who were called Lartius and Herminius stayed at his side. These three men stirred not from the place but fought alone with the whole army of the Etruscans and held their post, while the Romans broke the bridge behind them. And when only a few planks were left, Lartius and Herminius hurried back, but Horatius would not move until the hole was broken down and fell into the river. Then he turned round, and with his arms upon him, just as he was, sprang into the Tiber and swam back unhurt. Thus Horatius saved Rome from the Etruscans, and the Romans rejoiced and led him in triumph into the city, and afterwards they erected a monument to him on the Comitium and gave him as much land as he could plough in one day. Meanwhile the town was hard-pressed by Porsena, 
and there arose a famine in Rome, and the people were driven to despair. Then Mucius, a noble Roman, determined to kill King Porsena, and he went into the Etruscan camp, even into the king's tent. But as he did not know the king, he slew the treasurer who sat near him, distributing the pay to the soldiers, and he was seized and threatened with death. Then, to show that he was not afraid of death, he stretched out his right hand into the fire which was burning on an altar and kept it in the flame without flinching until it was burnt to ashes. But Porsena, when he saw it, was amazed at the firmness of the youth and forgave him and allowed him to return to his home. To show his gratitude for the magnanimity of Porsena, Mucius revealed to him that three hundred Roman youths had sworn to attempt the same deed that he had undertaken, and that they would not rest until they had taken his life. When Porsena heard this, he feared to distress the Romans any longer and made peace with them. He took no land from them except seven villages of the Veientines, which the Romans had conquered in former times, and having received hostages, he insisted no longer that they should receive Tarquin again as their king. Among the hostages was a noble virgin called Clelia, who would not suffer herself to be kept captive among the Etruscans. Therefore, when the night came, she slipped out of the camp, reached the river, and swam across to Rome. But the Romans, although they honored her courage, blamed her conduct, and brought her back to Porsena, because she had acted in opposition to the treaty they had sworn. Then Porsena admired the faith of the Romans, and released Clelia, and as many of the other hostages as she selected, and when he went away from Rome, he left his camp there and gave to the Romans all the things contained in it. When Porsena had become tired of the war, he went home to Clusium, but he sent his son Aruns with an army against Aricia, a chief town of the Latins, where the people of Latium were accustomed to meet for counsel. But Aristodemus, the Greek tyrant of Cumae, helped the Latins, and the Etruscans were beaten in a great battle, so that few escaped alive. These the Romans received hospitably, nursing them and healing their wounds, and to those who wished to remain in Rome, they gave dwellings in that part of the town which after them was called the Etruscan Quarter. But Tarquin had not given up all hopes of regaining his kingdom, therefore he went to Tusculum, to his son-in-law, Octavius Mamilius, and persuaded the Tusculans and the other Latins to make war upon Rome, and the Romans trembled before the strength of the Latins, and not trusting in the divided command of the two consuls, they nominated a dictator, who should have power over Rome like a king, and be sole leader of the army for six months. For this purpose they chose Marcus Valerius. After this a great battle was fought between the Romans and the Latins, near the lake Regulus, and the Romans began to give way when the banished king, at the head of a band of Roman exiles, came against them. Then the Roman dictator vowed a temple to Castor and Pollux if they would assist the Romans in battle, and suddenly two youths rode on white chargers at the head of the Roman horse and pressed down upon the enemy. And the Romans saw that they were the sacred twins, and taking courage they overthrew the Latins and killed many of them. Now, when the battle was lost, Tarquin gave up all hope of regaining his kingdom, and he went to Cumae to the tyrant Aristodemus and dwelt there till he died. End of section 7